always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. Escort to the colour. Change of... All across the UK this weekend, celebrations are taking place to mark Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee. The United Kingdom has completely closed up shop for a four-day bank holiday weekend to pay tribute to the Queen's 70 years of service. Traditional setting by writings of escort to the colour. At 96 years of age, Queen Elizabeth is the longest-serving monarch in British history, but As her health declines, she's become unable to perform most of her royal duties, as our London editor, Dennis Staunton, explains. Well, apparently what we hear is that uh, she is fundamentally in good health for a woman of 96. But what she has is what the palace calls these episodic mobility issues, which really means that it's difficult for her sometimes to uh, walk a great deal or uh, to travel in a car, to sit on a hard chair for a long period. Uh, So uh, what she tends to do is most of her duties she performs by Zoom. Good morning. I'm very glad to have been able to join you. Can you see everybody? You should have six people on your screen. Yes, well, I can see four anyway. So, with just four years to go until her 100th birthday, is it finally time for the Queen to perhaps give up those Zoom calls, maybe the official engagements too, and slow down after seven decades in this role? And it, it does leave one very tired and exhausted, doesn't it? I'm Sarah Khopalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, should the Queen use her Platinum Jubilee as an opportunity to announce her retirement? Dennis, let's start by chatting about the mood across Britain this weekend. Most Brits are no doubt extremely happy that they have a four-day bank holiday. But what do they plan to do with this time off? Now, I was actually in London last week and the city was already festooned with Union Jack bunting and images of the Queen's face plastered across shop fronts. So safe to say people are happy to be celebrating her 70-year reign, right? Yeah, uh, there's certainly going to be uh, various street parties that people have organised and the local councils apparently have been facilitating as many of these little local street parties as possible. And uh, some of the newspapers are full of stories about grumpy locals complaining about uh, not wanting a party next to them. But generally speaking, it seems to be going ahead. It's coinciding with school holidays, so a lot of people are away, say, in London. But generally speaking, I think the mood is quite uh, is quite buoyant. If you compare it to 10 years ago when uh, you had the Diamond Jubilee, uh, support for the monarchy has actually gone down a bit. So at that time, 10 years ago, there were 75% of people said that they thought Britain should be a monarchy. Now it's 62% and 22% say you should have an elected head of state. But it's still obviously a you know, pretty decent uh, majority. And obviously, again, the further up you go in demographically, so older people tend to be more in favour of it, conservatives tend to be more in favour of it and so on. You mentioned, Dennis, uh, the celebrations 10 years ago, but why is this celebration so significant for Britain? 
Well, I think it's partly the fact that uh, having been on the throne for 70 years, she's not only the, uh, you know been uh, a monarch and head of state for longer than anybody in British history, but almost in the world. You have to go really quite far afield uh, before you find anybody who's been uh, a king or a queen longer than Queen Elizabeth has. And so that's partly it. I think there's also a kind of a sense that uh, I mean, there is a sense that at the age of 96, you know, she'd be uh, actuarially fairly lucky if we're going to have whatever an 80th uh, jubilee is called. Mm. And so, uh, so in that sense, I think most people would feel this is probably the last of these big celebrations of her reign. I here present unto you Queen Elizabeth. Dennis, can you take us briefly back to Britain of the early 1950s, the country that existed when Queen Elizabeth II came to power? What kind of world did that young queen step into when her father died? Well, it was uh, still uh, pretty soon after the Second World War. That was 1952, so the Second World War was just behind them. You still had rationing. She holds what looks like a royal flush of ration books. Or should it be a full house? Each week, nine pounds of sugar, six pounds so it was it was austerity Britain in a way in the 1950s, but it also still was an empire. And uh, a few years before she became queen on her 21st birthday, the queen, uh, Princess Elizabeth, as she was, she gave this message to uh, the to the world uh, on her birthday when she was down in Cape Town. I declare before you all that my whole life whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. But I shall not have strength... Now, the great imperial family soon disappeared because the 1960s really saw uh, the a, a huge amount of decolonization, a lot of former colonies becoming independent. And then after that, you saw uh, something of an economic decline for Britain and then subsequently joining the common market in the 70s and onwards ever since. But that period of the 1950s, it was a very different world because it was, uh, first of all, Britain was a different society emerging from the Second World War. Secondly, it was the the centre of an empire still. It still could have uh, notions of itself as an imperial power, even though uh, the Second World War had shown that they needed the United States to come to their aid before they could keep the, the show on the road in terms of the Second World War. But that brings me on now to what you've described as the dirty word that so many Brits are petrified of uttering, even under their breath, the word abdication. Why is Britain so against or scared of abdication. December the 10th, 1936, one of the most momentous days in the history of England. On this day, the decision... Well, the reason that uh, the Queen is the Queen is because her father, George VI, became king. And the reason he became king was because his brother, he was Edward VIII, and he abdicated after a few months. A few hours ago, I discharged my last duty as king and emperor. And now that I have been succeeded by my brother, the Duke of Because York, he wanted to marry a divorcee, Wallace Simpson. At the time, that was considered to be completely impossible. 
So when he abdicated, George VI became king and he died at a young age and his uh, wife, the queen mother as she was until she died, and so the queen's mother, she had always maintained that the reason that George VI had such an early death, part of the reason was the burden of being king. And so uh, the idea of abdication of Edward VIII deciding to put his personal life ahead of uh, his duty to the monarchy and to this country and to the institutions was something that was regarded as irresponsible. And so for a very long time, this whole idea of abdication, while this might happen in other European monarchies, it was just not something anybody here in Britain would consider. Queen Elizabeth is now a very old woman. Are there any other options which would allow her to step back completely from her role and pass on all powers to Charles that wouldn't require her to abdicate? Yeah, there's a thing called the Regency Act. And what that does is that if for whatever reason, for reasons of mental or physical incapacitation, that the monarch can't perform their duties anymore, that they can hand over to a regent. And so what would happen then would be, it has to be done by a kind of a committee of senior members of the royal family, various senior figures in the government. And they all have to sign off on this and say, right, we all agree that the Queen is no longer able physically to do her duty. And so we hand uh, over to Charles as a regent. So she remains queen. Charles does not become king. He continues to be the Prince of Wales, but he's the Prince Regent. And he then performs all the duties of uh, of the monarch. So what you had, for example, a few weeks ago at the state opening of Parliament, the Queen couldn't do it, couldn't read. What, what has to happen is she goes into Parliament, sits in the House of Lords, reads the Queen's speech, which is the legislative programme for the government for the next year. And off she goes again. And what she's supposed to do is she walks in wearing this uh, imperial state crown. So Charles had to take her place. He was sitting in a throne and he delivered the speech. But next to him on a cushion on top of a table was the imperial state crown. And that was a mm. symbol that is a symbol of the authority of the sovereign. But it also was a symbol of the fact that he's not king. But the problem with the Regency is, first of all, she would still be queen, he wouldn't be king. And secondly, this committee can decide to uh, to change back and say, actually, now, after she's had a rest for a few months, she is in fact able to do her job. So thank you very much, Charles. Uh, you can now step down from your Regency role. Coming up, why the Queen should abdicate and what the future of the British monarchy will look like without Elizabeth sitting on that throne. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. Dennis, you've written for us that the most obvious step at this point is for the Queen to abdicate. Why would you argue that? I think there are a few reasons. 
The first is her age. At 96, it's the age where uh, most people would tend to try to slow down a bit. And <laughs> I think it's reasonable to say, and for the reasons that we've been talking about, the fact is that it is difficult for her to perform her duties as she did when she was a younger person. And so, first mm. of all, there's simply the fact that it's in a way cruel to hold somebody to a promise they made when they were 21 to keep serving and never to give up when they're 96 and nobody expected to live that long. Secondly, from the point of view of the monarchy, I think there's a, a danger that when the Queen dies and Charles becomes king, that uh, there could be a problem in acceptance of Charles. And if you look at opinion polls, uh, the Queen, you know, 84% of people do think she's doing a good job. In the case of Prince William, if they ask sort of, would Prince William be a good king? Then you get 77% say yes. Would Prince Charles do a good job as king? 57%. So it's quite a big difference. So I think that if they're worried about some kind of legitimacy issue, having the Queen sitting there at Charles's coronation, so the fact that she's there for the continuity, for the transition, the fact that she's able to make it clear that this is what she wants, that he is who she wants, that she thinks he's ready. At the age of 72, he ought to be ready. And given that he's only been doing this all his life, preparing for it. That, um, so, that, so in other words, I think just in terms of the smoothness of the transition, that it would help. What do you think the Queen abdicating would say to her people about Britain's place in the world today in 2022? Part of the problem that Britain has is that uh, lately... Its view of itself and the reality about itself uh, are at odds. And part of it is actually, in a way, a myth that the Queen herself embodies because the Queen, partly because of her age, she's a kind of a living link with the greatest generation, the generation that fought the second, in the Second World War, that sacrificed then, that built the, uh, rebuilt the country afterwards, that built the National Health Service. Uh, but it's particularly this idea of Britain standing alone in the Second World War. This has informed uh, Britain's view of almost everything that happens, so that every contemporary event, whether it's about Europe or about Ukraine or about anything, it's always viewed through the prism of this experience or this myth, in a way, of Britain's role in the Second World War. And I think the idea of the Queen saying, uh, I'm retiring now, A, because I'm too old to do the job. B, because it's a kind of a normal thing. Other monarchies in Europe, they do it all the time. And C, because uh, the post-war era is over. It would be in a way be saying that the post-war era was over. It would be an act of sanity, an act of the rational in a country where I think that policy is more often than not nowadays kind of losing, losing touch with reality. And so I think in a way it would be a blow for Britain as a rational state. And that would be, in a way, a final act of service that she could do for her people and for her country. As we mentioned earlier, the whole of Britain seems to be decked out in Union Jack bunting for the Jubilee celebrations. And maybe, for this weekend at least, everyone is a royalist. But scandals have plagued Queen Elizabeth's long reign – her sister, Princess Margaret's antics, caused consternation decades ago and, of course, the death of the Queen's daughter-in-law, Princess Diana, triggered a huge crisis for the monarchy in the late 1990s. And far more recently, her son, Prince Andrew, was the subject of a sex abuse lawsuit and now he's basically absent from public life. 
And then there was everything that happened with Prince Harry and his wife, the actress Meghan Markle. I need to do this for my family. This is not a surprise to anybody. It's really sad that it's got to this point, but I've got to do something for my own mental health, for my wife's, um, and for, for Archie's as well, because I could see where this was headed. Now, Harry is part of a new generation of royals, and a lot of people would have seen him and his brother William as potential modernizers with their openness and activism on things like mental health. Dennis, was the recent ostracization of Harry and Meghan a mistake? I mean, should more have been done to keep them in the picture? There are two versions, really, of what happened with Harry and Meghan. One version is that uh, Harry experienced a terrible trauma when he was uh, when he was still a child, when his mother died, tragically. And he grew up in a rather dysfunctional household where he came from uh, generations of people who couldn't express their feelings very well. And that was one of the reasons why his mother suffered. And then uh, he went through a rather difficult and unruly patch himself as a young man. And then he met Meghan Markle and uh, the two of them got together and uh, he found somebody who understood him and was basically wanted to heal him. And she then came and joined the family and was never made to feel welcome. They found it, uh, they made absolutely no concessions towards her. There were rumours as far as she was concerned about some racist remarks and there was some suspicion on her part that maybe they didn't accept her because uh, of the fact that she was a person of colour. And that so the only way that he could protect her from the fate of his mother and protect his children to make sure that they had the kind of normal upbringing that he couldn't have was to get out of there, to go to America. And having gone to America, he had to make a living and he's making a living by giving interviews, producing shows for Netflix and everything else you see him doing. The other version of this event is that Harry was indeed a troubled young man, but that Meghan Markle arrived over, she didn't understand what she was marrying into, and instead of knuckling down and sticking with it and making the effort on uh, you know for his sake and for the sake of the institution she had married into, she hightails it, takes him uh, with her, and kind of turns his head with all this Hollywood psychobabble, and now she's busy hawking, you know, encouraging him to hawk all the family secrets all around for money in Hollywood, and it's all very grubby. Those are the two versions of events. Which version you tend to believe in? An awful lot of it depends on how old or how young you are. So older people uh, tend to go with the latter, this idea that uh, the royal family did all they could for Harry and Meghan and that they're behaving very badly. Younger people tend to see their side of the story. And the problem, of course, for the royals is younger people are the future. Harry and Meghan, in a way, were such a great opportunity. Meghan was a great opportunity for the royal family, and they sort of threw it away. And there are a lot of people close to the family uh, who, if you speak to them, they would say, this is what they do all the time. They can't find an opportunity, see an opportunity without throwing it away. And they really should have made a much bigger effort to accommodate Meghan and to bring her into the family, and they would have prospered if they had done so. A royal couple admired by many around the world. But in a small village in Belize, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge are simply not welcome. What about support 
overseas in former colonies. Calls for slavery reparations and protests overshadowed much of Prince William and Kate's week-long tour to the Caribbean in March, which actually aimed to strengthen the Commonwealth and to discourage other countries from following Barbados's example in becoming a republic. So how are the Royal Brits viewed abroad? I think, generally speaking, there's probably uh, a certain amount of affection for the Queen still, and certainly uh, insofar as many of the former colonies uh, and, and parts of the Commonwealth uh, have been holding off on uh, getting rid of the Queen as their head of state. It's partly because she is the Queen and she's been around for so long. But many of them are ready to think about it differently once she's gone and Charles takes over. And the new uh, Prime Minister of Australia, for example, has set up uh, a, a departmental unit for the Republic to actually explore the idea of Australia becoming a Republic. And what you're finding is because of this, uh, you know, the, the way in which the whole history of colonization is being looked at again all over the world, uh, and, and many of these countries that are former colonies have started to look again at their relationship with Britain and with the royal family. And so visits like uh, William and Catherine, when they were Went over to the Caribbean, they have got a tendency now to go wrong, or at least you know uh, to run into some trouble or some dissent in a way that they probably wouldn't have some years ago. So I think that again, that's one of the things that once the Queen is gone, I think that's going to become a bigger problem for the royal family, and uh, you know than than she has experienced. When Queen Elizabeth finally finishes up, whether that's through a natural end to her long life or through a decision to abdicate. What do you think, Dennis, it means for the longer term future of the British monarchy? I think the monarchy is probably reasonably secure in that monarchy as a form uh, of government, a constitutional monarchy is pretty common in Europe and some of the most you know, progressive liberal democracies, the Scandinavian countries, uh, the Netherlands, Belgium. These are all monarchies, but they're just, the royal family doesn't play quite as big a role or quite as public a role in a way as it does in Britain. So I think that you probably will see the monarchy surviving because just the push for an elected head of state isn't really there. Uh, but the question then would be how big it is. And I think that you probably will find it diminishing. And it may be that they, uh, as the next generation after Charles comes along, that they might just retreat a bit from public life, that you might just see, not see them quite as much, that they'll come out for uh, ceremonial duties uh, and here and there. But maybe they just won't be such an enormous part of the national life as uh, they have been uh, for the last 70 years. Before I let you go, Dennis, there is another big story that has been unfolding in Britain while the bunting has been going up across the cities. Uh, I want to ask you about the latest on the Boris Johnson situation. Now, Tory discontent has continued to spread in recent days amid fallout from last week's Sue Gray report into the Partygate scandal. And a growing number of MPs have publicly sent letters of no confidence. Now, there have been many moments like this over the past few years when it seemed Boris could be on the brink of leaving Downing Street, but he's held strong every time. Is this time finally different? Could a vote of no confidence be triggered perhaps after the Jubilee celebrations? 
Yes, I think most of the betting at Westminster now is that there will be a vote of uh, no confidence in Boris Johnson's leadership of the Labour, of the Conservative Party probably next week, so the week after the Jubilee. Possibly they might wait until after two by-elections on the 23rd of June. But the betting seems to be that uh, the 54 letters which you need uh, to trigger this vote, that they're getting pretty close to it. And what's happening is that people from every part of the party, leavers, remainers, uh, people who've been in Parliament uh, since 2010, people who've just arrived in 2019, from the North and the South, all kinds of people have been expressing discontent. And the discontent is partly about the parties in Downing Street, and that's certainly they're getting a lot of grief from constituents about that. But also, I think, just a general sense of drift in the government, a sense that Boris Johnson, while he may be a good campaigner, is not very good at governing. But there's also a fundamental problem, which is that the Partygate scandal, already a few months ago, it knocked a huge load of points off Boris Johnson's popularity, and he hasn't regained it. And it looks like Boris Johnson's standing where the public is concerned has fallen to a level that is not going to recover. And he is now much more unpopular than his party. And his party are thinking, we're probably going to have an election next year. If not next year, it has to be in 2024. Do we really want this guy going in at the head of us? And so if there is a confidence vote next week, he uh, has to have 180 voting against him. And once again, the conventional wisdom in, at Westminster is that he'll survive the confidence vote. Uh, the rules say that if he wins this vote, he can't uh, be challenged again for another 12 months. But the reality is that if he has a big vote of his MPs against him, it's going to be very hard for him to run his government. And after that, I think it really is a matter of time before they do actually get rid of him. Dennis Johnson, thanks as always for your time. Thank you. That's all for today. This episode was produced by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back next week.